0: The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Good news, friends. Thanks to my good buddy, Mr. Devin Ellington, the man who runs our hoop ball gaming division, I have been alerted. That mybookie.ag has a new odds boost going on. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Cowboys, Bucks, NFL opening week? Is that opening day or opening week? Uh, it's like four weeks away, so um, plenty of time still to get down on it. But a $25 freebie. It's Thursday, September the 9th, so it is exactly four weeks from now. At 5.20 Pacific Time On NBC, Cowboys and Bucks kick off the football season, and mybookie.ag has a $25 bet where if either team scores, you win the bet. It's at minus 110 odds, so it's basically bet 25 to win about 23, give or take. And it's a freebie. You can use real cash on it in your mybookie account. It's 23 free dollars. All you have to do is have an account at mybookie.ag. Make your initial deposit and you can do it. By the way, it's also good for existing customers such as yours truly. When Devin pointed it out, I immediately went to mybookie.ag, placed my $25 bet using the odds boost button on the main page. It's in their big media scrolling wall at the top. They call it the lock of the season. Go get free $25, people. I don't care what you do with it. Bet it on something else if you like. Withdraw it if you like. I don't care. Get yourself a couple of lunches. It's $25 for basically doing nothing. It's a freebie. Go do it. I'm guessing there will be more. I doubt this will be the last odds boost of the summer and fall at mybookie.ag. And I'll be reminding you about it almost every single day between now and then because it's $25. You just get $25 as soon as that game happens. That's how this, that's what it is. Welcome to the show. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation. I'm your host, Dan Vespers. Thanks so much for joining us here on this Thursday, August the 12th. We almost finish up the week here and almost finish up our team-by-team breakdowns, which as expected, took us through about a month of real-life action. We've got the Celtics and the Raptors, and that'll finish things off. And today is the Boston Celtics. Very quickly before we dive into Boston, you can follow me on Twitter at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Last name has seven letters in it. The R is in the second half, B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Follow me. Hoopball is at Hoopball Fantasy on Twitter. Hoop-ball.com told you all about the Hoopball Loyalty Program on yesterday's podcast. And I'll give you a little bit more on that partway through this one. But let's dive into the Boston Celtics, because they've actually had a fair amount of turnover so far this offseason, which not every team in the NBA has had. It's actually been a, a by all accounts, I am going to say quiet, because free agency was fun and there were some big names that changed spots, but Boston somewhat quietly made their move early. They just added Dennis Schroeder as kind of a late thing to the team, but for the most part, they did their stuff early, and... They had a uh, one key player depart, who they traded for partway through last season, and they brought in a familiar face as well. So, kind of sneaky, the Celtics changed up their look in a couple of key spots, and that's what we're going to be talking about on today's podcast. First, a quick look at where things stand from an overall team-building perspective. They're stud young players who I would classify as Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Those guys are signed for a very long time yet. Tatum uh, just signed his extension, so he's there through like the next five years. Jalen Brown already had his going, so they've got him for another three seasons coming up. Marcus Smart is in a contract year, which is good for fantasy purposes. Tristan Thompson is in Sacramento. Evan Fournier is in New York. I'll admit, I have no idea where Luke Cornett ended up at the end of all of this stuff. And then they've got some various young guys that are finishing up early contracts. Peyton Pritchard, Robert uh, Williams. I was going to say I'm calling call him Robert Williams, but you guys, we all would just call him the Time Lord. Aaron Nismith, Grant Williams, Romeo Langford, a lot of these young guys that don't have a massive impact on things. Time Lord was the one who did, but then, of course, they switched things up a little bit on the big man front. I reckon that... As we look at the Celtics from last season... By the way, Kemba Walker, also gone from Boston, but that's in one of the trades we're about to talk about. If you look at the holdovers, which effectively is Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and the Time Lord, guys that actually had fantasy value last year that are still on the Celtics. And they had six players last season who factored into the top 100 from a nine-category perspective on a per-game basis. So there were quite a few which... It's actually wonderful for us that two of those guys were eliminated from the team and the third, Time Lord, has been shuffled into a reserve role. Why is that good? Well, consolidation. Consolidation. Addition by subtraction. I don't know that the team is going to be any better in this sort of addition by subtraction stuff, I do actually think that Al Horford coming in is going to be a really good thing for Boston because they just had no position defense at the big man spot. Tristan Thompson was not a rim protector. He's out there just rebounding and missing layups. Uh, and the Time Lord, who is a rim protector but never seems to get his rotations right, it was a very much a pick-your-poison for Boston last year. Now they've got someone coming in, a veteran center who's always in the right spot, can actually protect the rim a little bit, and can venture out and handle himself in pick-and-roll situations. I think that Kemba for Horford thing was actually a really good trade for Boston from a win-loss perspective. Also, from a usage consolidation perspective, because Kemba was taking 16 shots a game last year, and Al Horford, at like the height of his basketball career still didn't get to that marker that's just not his game uh looking at let's see if we can pull up Horford's numbers from last year while we're talking about and and it was limited work in Oklahoma City but as basically the number two option in OKC Horford was still only taking 13 shots a game he is much more comfortable at a lower number than that that's not where he wants to be. Even if he took 13, it's still a decrease from where Kemba Walker was at. You're consolidating. Evan Fournier, when he got to town, and most of his fantasy work was done with the Orlando Magic, but this is a guy who was taking, you know, dozen shots or whatever, 10 to 12 shots with Boston as well. However you want to shake this out, some number between 26 and 30 shots in Walker and Fournier are gone. They departed the Boston Celtics, and with Schroeder coming in and Horford coming in, I would venture to say that fewer than those 30 shots are coming back. I mean, even if you think Horford gets as high as 13, Schroeder's not getting 17 shots a game. He's not taking more attempts than Campbell Walker did. It's not happening. I don't know exactly how they're going to run out their starting lineup. I believe Schroeder's going to be the sixth man on that team. We heard talking uh, chatter coming out of Boston that Marcus Smart is going to be handling more point guard work this coming year. Apparently, he he requested the additional point guard work, and that's cool. We'll get to Marcus in a minute. But again, consolidation. I actually do think the Celtics have a better record this coming year from, a uh, I mean, obviously 10 additional games, but just from a win percentage standpoint than this last year. This was sort of a weird one. They were blistered by covid They were blistered by high expectations. They had Kemba, who wasn't a great fit, although he actually had an okay year by all accounts. They had terrible interior defense. They had Jalen Brown, who missed 14 games. Kemba missed almost 30. Time Lord, 20. Fournier missed 30 games over the entire year. Marcus Smart, 24 games missed. It was a wreck, man. This team was a wreck from a health perspective. And yet somehow... And this is where we begin to transition to what does it all mean going forward. Somehow, Jason Tatum wore the brunt of the attacks on why Boston didn't have that great of a season. Probably because he's the most notable name on the team. The superstar on a team is always going to wear it, whether it's good or bad. And the Celtics were a 500 basketball team this year, 36-36. and 36. That's awful, considering how much talent they have. It just wasn't a good year. They were snake bit. Everything that could go wrong went wrong, kind of thing. This is good for us from a fantasy perspective for a couple of key reasons. Reason number one Jason Tatum, despite playing in 64 out of 72 games, there's this very weird, and we've talked about this on the pod already uh, toward the beginning of the offseason, there's this weird feeling that because I think he was in protocols for a little bit, that somehow Jason Tatum had a badly banged up season. And it's just simply not the case. He played 64 out of 72 games, which compared to most fantasy players, most guys that we would consider relevant in fantasy, was a higher number. The average for the top 150 was around 61 games played this year. He beat that out of the water. I mean, three extra games from an early pick, that's a really, really big deal. And over Tatum's first four years in the NBA, he's missed two, three, six, and eight games. And I know that number is going in the wrong direction. But if you get rid of, and you can't really, but if you get rid of some of the fluky stuff right now, you're probably looking at only maybe three or four games missed for Tatum. Again, He has the 10th category. I feel pretty comfortable saying it, and anything can happen. Things can change. You're healthy until you're not. You're injury-prone until you're not. All that stuff is true. But here's the thing. If you're someone who's generally healthy, you can handicap that. If you're someone who's generally injured, we'll handicap that as well. It's, It's true that the opposite does happen, but we handicap everything based on probability. Percentages would dictate that Someone who's mostly hurt will probably continue to be a little bit more hurt. There's a higher likelihood. And someone like Tatum, who's generally not, will probably be generally not. Could the opposite happen? Yeah. You know, if we say there's a 70% chance that Tatum plays a relatively healthy season, that still means 30% of the time he's not. But if you're drafting him against someone who plays a full complement of games only like 45% of the time, I'd rather have the healthier guy. Even though on any one individual year, it could go the other way. That's just how percentages work. They don't always go to the side that's the bigger number. This is good for us, to finish the thought from like three minutes ago, to finish the sentence from three minutes ago, this is good for us because Jason Tatum, despite being number eight by totals this year, is probably going to get drafted around where he went last year, which was near the turn. He was 11, 12, 13, somewhere in that neck of the woods. He's not going to go higher because his per-game number was 15 and the Celtics underachieved. I'd be floored if he got drafted earlier this coming season. I suppose there's a, a wild universe where he goes from, like, an ADP of 11 to an ADP of 10, but I would love to get Jason Tatum towards the end of the first round. Big time in on that idea. If I end up with any pick between like 9 and 12, I'm probably targeting Tatum. Maybe Bradley Beal. Those are the guys I'm looking at in that neck of the woods. And a lot of people are going to lean Beal because he's the lone gun on that Wizards team right now. But Tatum's set to have a great year. I think from an overall... Per game standpoint, he could be better. But top 15 per game is uh, pretty darn good. And the only reason he was like two or three slots higher the previous year uh, is because his steals and blocks were higher. He was at 1.7 combined steals and blocks. This season, he was at 2.3 the previous year. Do those fluctuate back to where they were? Probably not. I mean, really, uh, this season was probably a more accurate assessment of where his steals should have been. Yeah, you could see the blocks come up from 0.5 back to 0.7. It's a small thing. If you play 75 games or whatever times 0.2, that's an extra, what, 15 blocks on the season? Cool, I'll take it. 0.2 times 75, did I do that right in my head? I think I did. In any event... In any event, Tatum now, he's a 45 to 46% shooter from the field. He's going to get you three threes a game. He's going to be a big-time positive free throw dude. Rebounds pretty well, and I don't think that's changing because he'll end up sliding up and play power forward sometimes. His assists were better this year. Give me an extra .2 blocks per game from a guy who, by all accounts, had a really good season and maybe was just a tiny bit overdrafted this year from folks that were hoping he could... Remember the end... Of the bubble run, he was shooting like 50% for two months, and he was like number three over that stretch, and people were like, oh, maybe this is it. Yeah, no, I mean, it levels off over an entire season. He's a 46% shooter from the field. That's probably not going anywhere. He's a top 15 per-game fantasy guy with a chance to get into that top 11, top 12 range, and he's durable. That's such a big thing. I mean, that's such a colossal, colossal thing for guys that you're drafting at the beginning. What about the other guys on the Celtics, though? Uh, so, yeah, now you know I'm targeting Tatum at the end of the first round. What about Jalen Brown? Brown got off to an insane start this year. He's a first-rounder for, like, the first month to two months of the season. And then, as expected, he came back to earth. Still ended up having a really good year. Uh, top, 30, top 40 on a nine-category basis per game, I should say. Uh, but But missed 14 games which I I don't think is all that unusual. He's been a bit more dinged up than his teammate, Tatum. Missed 15 games last year, 8 the year before that, 12 the year before that. It was only his rookie year where Brown played 78 out of 82 ballgames, so he's been a little bit more injury-prone. But it does look like he's a guy who now shoots 48 to 49% from the field, He's a guy who has fixed his free-throw stroke to where it's not a massive detriment anymore. Mid-70s instead of high-60s. That's good. Steals are decent. Blocks are okay. Rebounds are okay. Assists are okay. There's a lot to like about uh, Jalen Brown. The thing you don't like is the injury stuff. And because he scored 25 points a game last year, and because he got off to that rip-roaring start, and nobody really noticed how things looked for Jalen Brown over his last, like, 30 games of the season which not like it was bad he didn't go from being great to being bad he went from being great to just being like kind of fine and instead of being top 10 he just settled into that top 40 range and kind of threw it into cruising speed and that's fine and it leveled off he ended up in the 30s when all was said and done this is a guy who's basically top 40 per game that's probably not going anywhere this coming year Is there a chance he improves his free throw stroke even a tiny bit further? Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I wouldn't bank on it. He's already made a bunch of large strides in that particular category. I think he's a guy you can safely target towards the end of the fourth round. I'd rather draft him in the mid to late 40s as opposed to at the beginning of it because of the injury stuff. If you get 68 out of 82 games from Jalen Brown this year, you probably chalk that up to a win. Luckily, because everybody missed a ton of time, he was number 47 by totals this last year. It does make him a harder grab in head-to-head leagues because he's banged up. It makes him an easier sell in Roto, a guy who's probably going to have totals numbers ever so slightly below per-game numbers on the season, but a safe one. And if we get real lucky and he falls into the fifth round, I don't see that happening, but maybe he falls to pick like 52, then you grab him there and you feel pretty safe about it. Finally, the third guy on this team who hasn't really seen things change all that much for him is Marcus Smart. I wanted to go through the guys that were not going to be displaced by anything going on during this offseason so far. Marcus Smart, who I'll admit I thought was going to have a much better season than he actually did this year, finished right around the edge of the top 90 on a per-game basis. That was a big letdown. And it's not ultra clear how it happened. What I mean by that is, his field, uh, his field goal attempts per game actually went down season over season, despite the fact that Kemba Walker wasn't healthy to start the year, and the Celtics seemingly had sort of an addition by subtraction thing happening even going into this most recent season. So his field goal attempts went down from 11.4 to 10.6. His actual scoring went up because his field goal percent went up from 37.5 to 40, and he took an extra free throw per game this year, which again not one of his super strong suits, but that also went up. But his scoring, I mean, his scoring went up, but it was uh, largely unchanged. Assists went up. There was more ball movement for the Celtics this year. Rebounds stayed about the same. Steals ticked down a tiny bit. For Smart, and I would say maybe even a little bit below where we would want them to be. And blocks were pretty close to his career mark. The good thing about all of this is that coming off kind of a quiet, clunky, injured year, Marcus Smart becomes a really interesting roto target this coming season. I'd have a really tough time convincing you guys to go for Marcus Smart in a head-to-head league. Number one, he doesn't do anything that's all that flashy. And with head-to-head, you you try to target guys, to a certain degree at least, that are, one, uh, healthy, and that's going to be the other thing we talk about with him, but also guys that can kind of win you a category. And for Smart, he can get you close. He's pretty damn good in steals. That's been one he's had a, a big effect in a couple of years in his career. But that's kind of it. The other stuff is just fine. His assists got... A little better than fine this year, but the rebounding is a little sub-average. Three-pointers are fine, but not going to blow you away. And he's really a guy that you would hope would kind of accumulate stats. Unfortunately, he's rarely on the floor enough games to do it. I mean, it's been a hot minute since the last time Marcus Smart was healthy for more than, like, one year in a row. In fact, there were these two anomalous seasons 2016 he played 79 games two or rather three seasons ago two years ago he played 80 out of 82 games and those jump out at you because in those brief moments you're thinking like oh hey maybe this is maybe this is the thing uh it's not really he's been in the nba for seven years now and basically two out of the seven he's been healthy and this is why we handicap it because look I look at those numbers, and you guys look at those numbers with me, and what we see is a guy who generally doesn't make it through a season. But at the same time, two out of seven years, he did. Also, by the way, worth noting, one of those two where he made it through the year healthy was a Kyrie year. His minutes were down. His role was down. He didn't have to play as hard. 27 and a half minutes that year. One of the lowest of his career, uh excluding the rookie season. Last two years, he played 60 out of 72 last season with a bunch of those coming off the bench, and then 48 out of 72 this year. He had a 54 out of 82 mixed in there, a 61 out of 82 mixed in there, and it's always the same with him. With Marcus Smart, it's not the one big injury that knocks him out for a month and a half. It's like four two-week things because he just plays too damn hard. I call it Patrick Beverlitus. I don't. I mean, I just said that in the heat of the moment on a podcast, and I and I already regret it. But Patrick Beverlitis is basically a syndrome where you play so damn hard all the time that eventually your body's like, no, give me a week. Give me a week. My knees hurt. My back hurts. My ankles hurt. Like, you just turned into an old man overnight, which happened to me when I was 25. But for most of these guys, it's a little bit later. And also because they're getting blasted by fellow seven-footers. Knocked around for 48 minutes a game. So with a guy like Marcus Smart, if you're drafting him in a head-to-head league, you better have a bunch of injured list slots because his upside is not that high. It's okay, mind you, with, again, the kind of addition by subtraction stuff going on. But to me, I don't think it's high enough to weather the injury storm. Roto, on the other hand, with a games cap, I am all about Marcus Smart this coming season. 21, 22, all about it. Because, I, I mean, I, I don't know how he wouldn't get back up near his career high in shot attempts, which he had last year at 11 and a half. If his field goal percent sticks at 40 instead of 38, that now probably gets him up to 14 points per game, probably gets him back to 2.2 or 2.3 three-pointers per game. And this is a guy who was on a steady uptick in free throw percentage until this year. Actually fell back down to 79. But for the previous two years, and he gets a really bad rap at the free throw line. He was pretty bad his rookie year. He was okay. His second season in the league, he was pretty good his third year. Fourth year, I don't know what the hell happened. Free throw stroke just fell apart. Last three seasons, he's been fine there. It's no longer a negative for Marcus Smart. And if the assists hang in there between 5 and 6 and the steals creep back up by, I don't know, 0.1 to 1.6 or even 1.7 on a good year, then suddenly you're talking about a top 60 guy instead of top 90. And a guy who's probably going to get drafted, I would think, in the 80s. I don't think he falls to the 90s. Maybe he does, but I doubt it. And in Roto Gamescap, absolutely. Because now you're taking a guy... In the 80s, that could go per game in the 60 range. That's what you want. Guys, back of... We've done this, we did this exercise right at the beginning of the offseason. Guys that you draft between... Really, after the first three rounds, that's where you want dudes that just rack up games played and post good numbers in all of them. Once you get past that mark, you're looking for guys that can go per game above where you draft them in a Gamescap Roto format. It's more important to get the guys that can push the boulder forward. I think Marcus Smart is one of those guys this year, and I also think he gets drafted back of where those dudes generally go. Draft a guy at 80-something, and he goes you top 60 for, I don't care, 60 out of 82 games this year. That, to me, is a win. If you can do that with your pick in the 80s and your pick in the 90s, you're ahead of the curve with those, and you just keep filling in the edges. Marcus Smart misses a couple of games, fine, not a big deal. There isn't a clear backup there. Schroeder will get more to do in those instances, but I don't like his fantasy game very much. And that's where we pivot next. Dennis Schroeder, even if he does stuff in Boston, it won't be enough. Schroeder got 13, roughly, shots per game in Los Angeles. He was outside the top 130. His game just doesn't really translate all that well. He needs a lot of usage, which he got in Oklahoma City, didn't get in LA, and likely won't get in Boston either. If he got to 15 shots a game, he'd be a fantasy value. And in such a case, you could make an argument to draft him at at like the 135, 150 range. Someone's going to take him earlier than that in category leagues. Points leagues have at it, because his deficiencies are really less obvious in those. He scores... He gets you some assists, his steals are fine, but unspectacular, but doesn't hit many threes, he doesn't rebound, he doesn't block shots, his field goal percent wasn't very good this year, good free throw shooter, turnover's kind of high. Like, there's a lot of points league type of stuff that creeps in on Schroeder, and even eight category stuff that gives him a little bit of a bump there. Still, he's a, he's a popular name because he can score. Which means I have no idea where he's going to get drafted this year. I, I would imagine he gets drafted outside the top 100. So if he falls again into that 130 range, yeah, have at it. See what happens. Like maybe he gets a roll eventually. You know, Brown is going to miss 15 games and Smart's going to miss his 20 games. So there are going to be nights where Schroeder gets thrust into the third slot on that Celtics team. And on those games, when he gets his 16 shots or whatever it is, that'll be inside the top 100. Those nights, I just, I don't think he's going to average out to that spot. He's pretty durable, Schroeder is, which is kind of nice, and I guess from that perspective, head-to-head, there's a little baby lift for him, but he's just, he's not my kind of, he's not my kind of fantasy player. You know I like guys who get you percentages and defensive stats, and his free throw percent is good, but his defensive stats aren't, and his field goal percent is meh. He's just not... He's not a Bespris type in the way that Marcus Smart kind of is. Big-time steals. Marcus Smart. I mean, the... I know it's a weird delineation to try to draw between those two guys, and it's not because Schroeder in in Los Angeles. Lakers fans hate Dennis Schroeder right now, and I don't think that's really warranted. He was relatively decent for, like, the first two and a half months, and then things just sort of spiraled. Team got hurt. He didn't step up the way they wanted him to. He had COVID stuff at the end of the year, which I'm sure irritated the team a little because they were going into the playoffs and they were already dinged up. It was just, you know, a bad year. But he was fine. He wasn't bad. So I don't want folks to blame it on that. And that's the reason I think he might still get drafted on the late side is that a lot of people remember the Schroeder that the Lakers fans turned on at the end of the year and into the playoffs when he kind of ghosted the team in the postseason. But that's not what he's going to do over a full fantasy year. And if the Celtics sort of go hard the way they almost always do uh he'll he'll have okay numbers for points leagues for possible uh eight cat maybe nine cats a stretch and finally yes the logo well the alternate because tobias harris is the logo for the dan Vespers old man squad the alternate logo for the dan Vesper's old man squad al horford big al back in boston the scene of the crime. That's not really true. He's in Atlanta for a really long time. Uh, Big Al is a wonderful fantasy player. We had all... No, we. That's not fair, because... I think we all knew what was going to happen in Oklahoma City. They were going to rehabilitate his value. We all probably thought he was going to play more than 28 games this damn year. So that was a bummer. But from a per-game perspective, he was glorious. Number 60 per game. 28 minutes a game, 14 points, 7 boards, Three and a half assists, a steal, a block... 82% from the free throw line, only 45 from the field, because he really has kind of turned himself more into an outside shooter, and that has, has really put a damper on what used to be one of his calling cards, which is both percentages and both defensive stats. So he's not quite the same Al Horford. He's gotten older. But that starting job is his, and 28 minutes a game is probably his in Boston as well, maybe even a tiny bit more than that. I don't know. Regardless, he's probably going to get drafted in the 80-90 range, just like Marcus Smart, and I'll absolutely scoop him at that point. Put him back on the old man squad. You can kind of quote it. I say kind of quote it because weird things happen, but you can kind of quote it. Here on August the 12th, barring some other large unforeseen things, and the Time Lord will get playing time, and Horford will get some games off mixed in there, but I think Boston is just thrilled to have someone back to handle the center position that can do both position defense, rim protection, And I shouldn't even say both because it's kind of three things and handle moving out towards the perimeter to some degree. Like, Philly, I thought, brought Horford in to deal with Milwaukee. So that's actually kind of a win for Boston also. And that's as far as I'm willing to go with the Celtics this year. But I think that's relatively far. So once again, I'll remind all you guys, I think Horford, Marcus Smart, Uh, end up as pretty decent values, smart, particularly on the Roto games cap side. Tatum, I think, is a value, ends up being a guy who gets drafted near the turn and is a value in all formats. Jalen Brown probably gets a little bit overdrafted because of his scoring, but better for Roto than head-to-head because of the injury stuff. Uh, And, oh, I almost forgot to talk about the Time Lord. Um, This actually does deserve our attention. The Time Lord... Schroeder, by the way, I think gets a little bit overdrafted, but I just don't know, because I think people there's a chance people might have soured on him. The Time Lord, in 19 minutes a game last year, was number 69. People are really upset about him losing his starting job to Al Horford, and rightfully so, because if he was someone you had in Dynasty or a Keeper League or something like that, you're expecting him to keep what ended up being his, you know, low 20s to mid 20s minutes role from the end of the season when he was a top 40 fantasy player in 22 23 minutes a ball game. I have good news for all of you guys. The good news is he's still going to play 18 to 20 minutes a game. He was still top 75 in 18 to 20 minutes a game. I'm genuinely concerned that a lot of fantasy players are just going to write him off because he's no longer projected to be the full-time starter for this team. But he accumulated most of his value this most recent season playing behind freaking Tristan Thompson. It was only when TT went down and COVID and all that other stuff that Time Lover was like, oh, cool, my job for a little bit. And over the last 25 games this year, he averaged 10-8 with 2.9 2.9 combined defensive stats, and he shots 73% from the field. Yeah, he's probably not going to get 23 minutes per game. But remember, over the entire season, he was at 19, and he was inside the top 70, 2.6 combined de- defensive stats per game. He's going to be a wonderful center to bring off the bench for them, to just go nuts, blocking shots, just owning second units, but not having to worry about contending with the well-oiled machines that are other teams' starting units, and clever offense. When the reserves come in and things get kind of ragged, he'll just block four shots, slam dunk a few and hit the pine. It's delightful. So hell yeah. Robert Williams, very much someone you should be drafting inside the top 100, even still. And I'm not sure the fantasy world is going to reflect that this coming season. So big time value, I believe with the time Lord because of the Al Horford fears I think they probably knock him way down the board and we can all capitalize on that. I don't know a ton about the durability side of things. He did only play in 52 games this year. Is he going to be banged up again this coming season? Even if he's coming off the bench, it's not fully clear and he really didn't have a chance the previous couple years to even show if he was healthy because he just wasn't playing on a night to night basis. So hard to say whether this is a head to head or roto type of thing. I think I would lean towards enjoying him in both formats because he's a guy that could potentially win you blocks or field goal percent in a given week. But I don't know for sure. Regardless, I like him as a guy who's probably going to get underdrafted because of the offseason trade for Al Horford. I think Horford's someone who possibly gets underdrafted because he only played in 28 games last year and he's older and boring. Marcus Smart probably underdrafted because he's kind of a boring fantasy stat set. Although, again probably not venturing into his neck of the woods in head-to-head leagues. Jason Tatum took too many PR hits this year. So he probably is going to be, I don't know about underdrafted, but certainly not overdrafted. And then Jalen Brown, kind of the one guy who probably overdrafted. And even he might still fall a little bit because of how bad the Celtics looked this season. And that's the Boston Celtics. That's going to be a fun one. I'm a Laker fan who's going to probably have two or three Celtics on my fantasy team this coming year. Pray for me pray for me. And while you're doing that, 4 days to sign up for the Hoopball loyalty program as I told you extensively over the last few podcasts. If you already have a Hoopball subscription, go ahead and just close the show out right now because this is basically the last thing we're going to do. If you don't have a active Hoopball membership, Fantasy Pass, Wager Pass, Hoopball 360, whatever it might be, if you don't currently have one, you have 4 days to lock in last year's prices. And provided, and this goes for everybody, provided then you don't turn the membership off, you will keep that price forever. It's a pretty insane deal, by the way. Like, 15 years down the line, if you're still using hoop ball stuff and the price has gone up four, five, six, seven times or whatever it might be over those 15, and you're still paying four ninety nine 99 a month for the Fantasy Pass, people are going to hate you. Everybody else is paying like $13.99 and you're paying $4.99 and you're like, well, you idiots should have left your membership on. Shouldn't have canceled and re up two months later. Just leave it on. Four days to go. Prices go up on Monday. That's when the offer expires. Go to hoop-ball.com. Click on the premium tab and activate or reactivate your membership today. And again, if you already have one going, you don't have to do anything at all. Just leave it on. I am Dan Vespers This is Fantasy NBA Today. Have a lovely Thursday, everyone. We'll talk Raptors to get you through the weekend. And then next week, we start to pivot towards draft strategy. Yes, we're going on the early side. I'm sure there'll be some news to cover in there as well, which we have, to some degree, kind of ignored. Have a great day. Later.